back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphin fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins each and every day. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we go inside the film room. We'll break down each of Miami's first round draft picks from last Thursday night's 2020 NFL Draft. Where do Tua Tungavailoa, Austin Jackson, and Noah Igbenogany really excel? Plus, Matt Breida was acquired over the weekend. We'll go into the veteran acquisition profile and wrap it up with an extension of the closer on Sunday's pod and the article up on MiamiDolphins.com, the off-season of reinforcing Miami's initial vision under Stephen Ross, Tom Garfinkel, Chris Greer, and Brian Flores. All of that and more on a busy show, a Tuesday, April the 28th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we have really exhausted the Tua tape talk on this podcast, and really for the past, I suppose, what was a year going back, at the conclusion of Tua's sophomore season, when it was pretty much unanimously decided that he was quarterback one heading into his junior year. Let's go ahead and do a quick rehash because I am really excited to talk about both Austin Jackson and Noah Igbenogany. This real quick on Tua, the football acumen, just go check out the ESPN Plus episode with Nick Saban. It's called Detail, where they show Tua working full field progressions and moving defenders off their landmarks with his eyes and the slightest false steps for a safety. He's going to attack you and probably going to burn you if you are not clean in your mechanics and your backpedal and your responsibility for getting to a certain drop in zone or against man. The Dan Orlovsky video where he shows the slant that goes for a touchdown against Texas A&M. The layman will just say that was a slant route and a play made by the wide receiver, but that's in the absence of nuance. Tua, via Dan Orlovsky's breakdown, who used to play in the NFL, by the way, uses pre-snap motion to get the defense to declare its coverage, and Orlovsky points out something fishy about the the formation on defense because they have a six-man pressure look, but if an extra rusher comes, then the offense needs an answer because they have four out into the pattern and a back next to Tua with, of course, the five offensive linemen, so six guys in protection, and Tua points out the DB showing blitz and then gives a little hand signal to Devontae Smith on where to go if that DB does in fact blitz, and sure enough, he does blitz, and Tua throws it right in behind the blitz for the big play to Smith, a long touchdown. We talk about the accuracy. We know about this as well. Watch his 2018 tape, and it is just aerial assault unlike anything I've ever seen at the college level. 30, 40, 50-yard passes landing in perfect stride downfield for cruise-in, walk-in touchdowns. The 10-inch hands really help him control the football. It helps him guide it without having to throttle down that quick motion, and it makes for pure poetry. Russell Wilson is similar in this way because of his 10 and a quarter inch hands. And for some other comparison's sake, I think Joe Burrow, the first quarterback taken this year, is a good example. Nine-inch hands. Big Ben Roethlisberger just by virtue of his nickname and the fact that he's a big dude, you'd think he'd have some bigger hands too, right? Well, he was just a shade under nine and a half inches. And then also Ryan Tannehill had nine inch hands. So just some NFL quarterbacks around the league and their size of their hands. 
to uh, closer to Russell Wilson in that regard. And you can see the way they spin the football and how the impact is on those passes because of the larger hands, the better grip on the football. It helps Tua out as well with the better ball fakes. His footwork is not really reliant on the hand size, obviously, but the footwork, the synchronicity between his feet and his eyes, he's so mechanical, very far along mechanically for a 21-year-old. It's just, whew, it is impressive to watch him play football out there at Alabama. And blocking for Tua, of course, is going to be an important important aspect of his career here in Miami and an impressive specimen was the next pick in the draft for the Miami Dolphins number 18 overall Austin Jackson who allowed just 11 quarterback hits on 1,152 pass blocking snaps according to pro football focus that's not pressures that's quarterback hits So keeping your guy upright is the most important thing in pass protection, obviously. But just a few notes on Jackson here. I watched a few of his games on tape the other day. He's patient enough to give a little bit of ground off the edge and then meet the rusher at the apex. So there's not this sense of urgency where he panics and gets himself overextended and just allows that rusher, if he wants to take that angle, to run right around the quarterback. And I go back to the the Nick Saban detail ESPN Plus episode, and he talks about how the, the Alabama offense loved when people did that because the quarterback can then just slide right into the vacancy and still look to make a play with his arm and Jackson's length really helps here because if he does give up that slight inch off the edge he has the length to recover and the feet to get back in position to make that block it also doesn't allow the rusher to redirect and get Jackson off balance when that looks like it might happen and a less athletic tackle is going to be susceptible rather to that the upfield rush and then come back underneath Jackson's so good with his footwork that he can redirect and mirror and get him back into position to make a block on that play and speaking of his ability to mirror it's impressive the way he can kind of shuffle back and forth and again the footwork the athletic ability you really see that he does well to keep his feet underneath him and to reposition his hand placement if maybe he loses the initial hand punch and has to kind of rework to get back into shape to finish out the block there's a rep in the Utah game where the pass rusher tries a push and pull where basically you throw your hands into the chest plate and then pull him forward and he does latch on to Jackson's jersey but Jackson's able to stay on balance and finish out the rep again because of those feet and because of that balance and it's not all finesse with Austin Jackson when he sees an opportunity to finish a rep with physicality he's gonna take it he explodes into the chest plate with sheer power and puts some guys on their back And you also see that power when he does have to anchor. Now, the USC passing game had so many quick sets that he really didn't have to anchor against rushes all that often. It was more about trying to find a way to redirect. But when he does have to anchor, he can certainly do it. He takes really nice angles to wall off on the first level and create that B-gap run for his running back or climb to the second level and hit cutoff blocks at that second level on linebackers or defensive backs coming down into the box. And then his recognition ability and awareness of what games look like up front, stunts, slants, twists, guys doing different things, trying to create pass rush games without just winning one-on-one matchups and doing it through the scheme. He's aware of what they look like and knows how to get himself into position to pass those off and to pick them up as well. He is really about as toolsy as it gets for an offensive lineman, and that's what you want in your left tackle, athletic ability with a nice combination of strength there as well. And as Coach Flores said, all these rookies are going to have work to do. It's going to be up to them to develop their games and to become better professionals at the next level. Now, with the 30th pick in the draft, watching Noah Igbenogany, this guy played 879 coverage reps over the last two years, and it was his first two seasons of his life playing cornerback, by the way, a converted wide receiver. He only allowed three touchdowns, and doing this in the SEC, and doing it against some really, really good wide receivers, several first-round prospects at wide receivers. 
I watched every game from Igbenogany late on Sunday night from his 2019 season, and my goodness, a fun tape to watch. He has some excellent reps against those guys, whether it's Van Jefferson, Jamar Chase, or Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, who's going to be a first-round draft pick next year. Justin Jefferson just gets it done against many of these guys. There's a rep against Van Jefferson in the Florida game. I put a video of it up on Twitter where Igbenogany has to recognize and respect the outside release of Jefferson, who works outside to cross-face and come back underneath on a slant route. And the way that Igbenogany sinks that inside hip and then turns on it and drives right out of the back pedal, it is just freak athletic ability. Like, if you go watch that video you'll have a good idea for just how well and how fluid this guy can move both his hips, his lower half, and his change of direction in short areas. And after Florida couldn't get their best receiver in Van Jefferson going in that game, they tried to attack Igbenogany with who I think is tight at number one heading into 2021 in Kyle Pitts. And they run a hitch route from off coverage, hoping that he can break a tackle. And he didn't because Igbenogany is so solid at tackling as well. And there's a rep against Devonta Smith where Jeff Okuda talked about this during a AMA he did on Twitter or something like that where he took questions from fans where they asked him, what's your favorite coverage or what's your favorite idea when you are in phase? Do you want to get on top of the receiver or do you want to stay in their hip pocket and try to match them stride for stride? And he said, always stay on top because if he's even, he's leaving. And there's a great example of two consecutive go routes from Devontae Smith in the uh, the Iron Bowl this year against Alabama, where he has takeoff routes and Igbenogany just stays step for step. He stays on top. He stays in the hand fight, but doesn't get too aggressive to where he gets a foul and wins those two reps against a guy who's going to run a 4-4, probably less than a 4-4 next year in Devontae Smith at the NFL Scouting Combine. He also has a rep against Justin Jefferson back in 2018. It's a corner route to the field side of the formation. So the field is the wide side of the formation. So you're on the right hash, the field's to the left side of the field. And the play is basically a smash. And all a smash is, you're going to run a little in route or a hitch route or a short little hook route with the number one receiver, the furthest split out receiver. And then your inside receiver runs a corner route in behind that. You try to sink the cornerback up and go attack in behind him. So it's a little smash where the, both the one and the two take inside routes and the three, Justin Jefferson, closest into the line of scrimmage or closest into the formation, I should say, runs the corner route and he just stays stride for stride with him and breaks the pass up. It's really impressive to watch him do that. And the next year, the LSU offense with a second half deficit on fourth and goal down inside the five yard line, tries to run a little tunnel screen to Jamar Chase and he sniffs that thing out, stands up Chase and makes the tackle on the line and gets that ball over to the Auburn offense. So aggressive, physical, long speed. He's so patient in his press and you can really see that on those out outside releases. He's not going to take the cheese on an overzealous release where the receiver is very active but not actually making any progress or moving any ground. He just stays patient and doesn't take all that movement and all that head fake. Stays with his technique. He plays on 100 miles an hour all the time. He's a pure energy source. The Auburn defense always rallies around him after he gets a PBU or forces an incompletion. And he matched up with a lot of the opposition's best receivers, including some tight end work on pits, like I mentioned in the Florida game, had the great game against Jefferson. He had snaps versus the X, which is the boundary side receiver, the short side of the field receiver over there. You see Preston Williams, Devontae Parker run that position quite a bit, or the field one, two, or three. Again, the one is the furthest split out. The two is the next inside. The three is the one closest in to the formation. So he plays all over the ball at cornerback, very aggressive with his hands and press in phase and at the catch point, just always stays aggressive. He has a way of 
of rerouting and dictating the stem on how he leans on guys. And what I mean by that is the receiver has a certain stem he wants to run, which is where you push up and try to get to the top of the route where you then break it off to create separation. And he can really alter that stem because of his physicality and because of his balance to stay in phase from that inside leverage position has so much confidence to give that outside access because of the tremendous recovery as well as closing speed to go ahead and catch up on those takeoff routes. He just doesn't miss tackles on hitches, curls, and slants. A very valuable aspect to have because those four or five yard gains become 12 yard gains, become plays that move the chains. He prevents that for the most part. The competitiveness, you see it on every play. It looks like life or death for him out there based on the way he plays. And every coach at Auburn said he was the most competitive kid on that team. Gus Malzahn even said he was the most competitive kid he's ever coached. And the Dolphins were at that pro day right before things shut down across our country. And Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald had a report that Flores was there putting guys through the through the gauntlet on the whiteboard, testing their mental fortitude, putting in a game plan and testing how they respond to that. Well, if Coach Flo puts him through that and came away with a report that said this guy is a first-round cornerback, then let's go. That's all I need to hear. So Noah Igbenogany, really fun tape. I suggest going out and watching that. Same case is true of Tua Tungavailoa as well as Austin Jackson, the Dolphins' first three-round draft picks. They are all very young, very athletic, and have tons, are dripping with the upside. Very excited about those three players. We'll talk about the round two and round three guys on tomorrow's podcast. And then on Thursday, we'll talk about the day three guys. But for now, I want to turn our attention over to an acquisition that was made on draft day on day number three in running back Matt Breida. And we have an article up on MiamiDolphins.com taking a deep look into Matt Breida's game, taking a look at some of his workout numbers, his statistics the last few years, some PFF numbers, and some film. And that's where we'll go ahead and start with the film. And like I mentioned, I think it was on Sunday on Twitter, running back film is the best on Game Pass because you can limit it to searches down to his carries and catches and really get a good glimpse of what he can do in a short amount of time. And I had a chance to go back and look at Breida's film. And the first thing you notice is, of course, the variety of running schemes that the Niners ran there with Kyle Shanahan, the guy, really the maestro of running schemes in the NFL. He ran plenty of carries out of the offset eye behind Kyle Juszczyk, their split zone, outside zone, inside zone, just all kinds of variety in that Niners running game. And his speed really complemented that outside zone look the Niners love to go with. They used him in the screen game. They flexed him out into the slot, out wide. And there are two runs I think you really want to watch to get a feel for what he offers to an offense. And obviously this one, you're going to want to see it no matter what because it's an 87-yard touchdown rip against the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football. But you just don't see tailbacks blow past safeties the way that he does on this play in the professional ranks. You see it in high school all the time. You see it a lot in college. But it's just not common in the pros for a running back to completely leave a defensive back in the dust and for the record, that was Demarius Randall who he left in the dust. And Randall ran a 4-4-6 at his combine workout when he came out of the draft. There's also a play against the Cincinnati Bengals where the Niners come out in 22 personnel. That's two backs, two tight ends. And they put check up on the line of scrimmage. So you have eight guys across the line and one receiver out wide to the field. It's third down and one, short yardage. So the Bengals try to match the beef and put nine guys in the box. 
And this is where you can kind of get some of those big runs because once he breaks out of that defensive pack, there's no one to run him down on the back end. And the Bengals put two bodies in the A-gaps. That's either side of the offensive center and nine total players in the box. There's immediate penetration play side as the center has to cut off the one technique to his left, which is lined up on his outside shoulder, his left shoulder. And he just can't quite hold that reach block at the point of attack and gets pushed back four yards into the backfield, right into the mesh point where Brita wants to make his decision to make his cut and try to bang it in there for a first down. But instead, he has to shift gears because he's greeted by contact four yards deep in the backfield. He throws a little jump cut backside. A lane opens up. And once Brita gets to that point, he's one-on-one with the safety in the hole and he makes him miss very very badly. Then he crosses up a linebacker who fills right behind that safety and forces another missed tackle. And then it's off to the races for a 34 yard gain. He's got a lot of those big runs on third or fourth and short where he rips off a big gain. He's converted 86% of those runs in his career plays where it's third down or fourth down and short two yards or less. But granted, it's just six out of seven, but he converts almost all of them. So if you have Game Pass, I encourage you to go check that out for yourself. Get a look at the Dolphins' new running back. They used the 153rd selection on Saturday's third round, or third day rather, of this year's draft pick number 153 in the fifth round on a running back who averaged 5.1 yards per carry last year during that run to the Super Bowl that was sixth best in the NFL and during his three-year career Breida averages an average five yards per carry he scored 10 touchdowns in those three years total and compiled 2,463 yards from scrimmage on just 448 touches he has 381 carries and 67 receptions in his three years as a pro he's caught 67 out of 89 targets in his career. That's a 75.3% catch rate and an average of 8.4 yards per catch. He's a chain mover. He's converted 110 of his 448 touches into first down. So right around 25% and again, six out of seven on third down or fourth down. And short, according to Pro Football Focus, Breida lined up in the backfield on 246 snaps. He was in the slot for six snaps and out wide on 16 occasions. And he gave the Niners 85 snaps on special teams. He had 18 runs last year that went 10 yards or more and his big run percentage a whopping 14.6% last season. He led all backs who played at least 10 games in pro football focuses break breakaway run percentage stat and the speed of this new Dolphins running back really pops off the page. It's evident on the tape from the production and from his pro day workout back in 2017 at Georgia Southern. He went undrafted despite running a 4.38 second 40-yard dash. He had a crazy 42-inch vertical, 134-inch broad jump, and perhaps even more impressive, Brita at 190 pounds put up 23 reps of 225 on the bench press, and that caught John Lynch's eye, who said, quote, he ran a 4.38 and matched that with a 42-inch vertical. That's rare power and speed, and then you turn on the film, and the film matches those numbers, end quote. And you go back to the 2000 NFL Scouting Combine, only two run running backs have had better 40-yard dash times and vertical jumps than Matt Breida, and that speed to the edge really puts the onus on the linebackers to make quick decisions and not take any false steps. Any false steps, and you're going to get burned by the speed, particularly when he has the defender outflanked pre-snap. His long speed and quick cutting ability changes the angles on players that are in pursuit at the very last minute, which creates plenty of missed tackle opportunities. He forced 18 missed tackles last season on 180 touches for an average of 2.85 yards 
yards after contact per rush or per catch per touch, I should say. And he arrives in Miami on a one-year contract. The Niners gave him a second round restricted free agent tender this offseason and of course dealt him to Miami for a fifth round draft pick. He is scheduled to make $3.26 million base and against the cap this year, his contract will expire at the end of this year with the Miami Dolphins. So Matt Breida, new back in town. And he pairs up with other new running back addition, free agent Jordan Howard, to give you some nice thunder or lightning in the Miami Dolphins backfield. And so while you can catch that piece up on MiamiDolphins.com, you can also catch this piece I wrote kind of recapping the draft. They wanted me to do a draft recap, but I wanted to kind of encompass the entirety of the process that was set forth by Stephen Ross way back on New Year's Eve 2018 because I think the Dolphins have been so singular in their vision for how they want to approach this thing. So I wrote this article called Dolphins Offseason Reinforces Ross, Flores, and Greer's Initial Vision. And I want to just go ahead and go through that article with you guys here real quick and talk about the consistency of that message and how although plenty of goodwill has been built up over free agency and the draft, the plan is far from complete. A plan that was never short-sighted, possibly even two or three years down the road. And Flores gave us a quote after the draft was over, stating, Football games are not won in March and April. So while the build is going well, it's far from complete. And the first step of that build after arming Chris Greer with total control of personnel decisions was to find the next head coach. And the overarching prerequisite of that search was always leadership for Stephen Ross. And though Brian Flores' candidacy was corroborated through his versatile coaching and evaluation background, we know it by now. He worked in personnel. He worked on offense. He worked on defense, worked on different position groups, defensive coordinator, had every job you can imagine in the NFL. It was his ability to capture and command a room of men that made him the only choice for Stephen Ross. Quote, I think the most important thing is finding a leader that can motivate men, end quote. And so on February 4th, 2019, less than 24 hours after Flores just called plays in a suffocating Super Bowl win over the high-flying Rams offense that year, he was announced as the head coach in Miami. And at his introduction press conference, Flores detailed his perspective of the interview process saying, quote, I wasn't in a rush to become a head coach. It has got to be the right fit. It has got to be the right play. You have to have the right feel. I think our vision and our core beliefs and our core philosophy of how to build a team, they were aligned. That was one of the things for me going through the process of interviewing. I told every team this, if our beliefs aren't aligned, then don't hire me because if they're not aligned, then it's not going to work. If they are not aligned, it does not work. End quote. And now here we are 15 months after that press conference with countless news conferences in between and Flores takes every opportunity that he can to reinforce exactly what that aligned vision represents saying, quote, what you're going to see out there is a team that's smart, a team that's disciplined, a team that's fundamentally sound and a team that's violent, tough and aggressive. That's kind of who I am and I want our team to reflect that, end quote. And so the 2019 offseason served as a table setter, a chance to establish the foundation by which the program would be built upon under the new regime, clearing the decks, freeing up future salary cap allocations, and stocking a war chest full of draft picks. Flores and Greer did go on to use the 13th pick in that draft last year to emphasize that message by taking Clemson's Christian Wilkins. Quote, Christian has an energy. He's got a life to him. 
And at the same time, he has a poise and a workmanlike demeanor. He works his butt off and football is important to him, end quote. And Flores' appreciation for prioritizing football and work ethic is matched only by his affinity for a player with versatility. He had this to say about versatility. There are times when a guy can only play right tackle and that's it. If you try to move him somewhere else, he can't get into a left-handed stance. That happens. That guy is pigeonholed and we've become pigeonholed as an offense or as a defense when we're talking about defensive tackles, no tackles, defensive ends. There's only 46 guys that dress on Sundays. So if we're not versatile, injuries occur in this league and guys get tired. You have to be able to shift guys around and that's where versatility comes into play, end quote. And while Flores' message rings true for the way a player prepares in the weight room, the film room, pretty much everywhere besides the football field, it is the on-field prowess that carries the most weight. Nobody embodied that message of selflessness and versatility last year, like safety Eric Rowe. Rowe signed a one-year contract in Flores' first offseason with the team, but took only 12 games to earn an extension last year after the Eagles' victory, a significant selling point on Rowe's new contract, that midseason switch from cornerback to safety, and afterwards an impressive 53.3% completion on passes targeted in his coverage area, primarily on tight ends and running backs. And with expectations and a criteria for what it takes to be a Miami Dolphin established in year one, Flores, Greer, and the Dolphins' decision makers took a more aggressive approach in offseason number two. While Miami executed 228 total transactions in 2019, 62.3% more than the league average of 142, the 2020 offseason provided another flurry of moves and still all the activity fell under one umbrella of Greer's preferred method of roster building. Quote, I'd rather have three really good players than maybe one great player who may or may not impact what you're doing. I'd rather have three good players at positions that are going to help the team win. End quote. And while the Dolphins acquired 11 free agents ahead of last week's NFL draft, that quantitative approach did come to fruition. The Dolphins signed Byron Jones to what is the second richest cornerback contract in the NFL on an annual basis behind Philadelphia's Darius Slay. The rest of the free agent crop were imported on deals that came outside of those players' top 10 position groups in terms of average annual salary. Those 11 players, along with the 11 rookies drafted over the weekend, satisfy the on-field roster construction and scheme requirements as well. Miami had to get better at defending the run, particularly on the outside. Enter Shaq Lawson, who finished 2019 second among all defensive ends in tackles for loss, and Emmanuel Ogba, who appeases defensive line coach Marion Hobby's preferred traits off the edge. Quote, long, athletic, smart player, has really good football IQ, end quote. That's what Marion Hobby said about his defensive lineman last year and his preferences. A lot of those traits apply to fifth-round draft choice Jason Strobridge. Flores, at the conclusion of the 2020 NFL Draft, spoke about another key trait that attracted coach to the North Carolina Tar Heel. Quote, Strobridge is an outside-inside player. He played multiple positions. He's versatile. He's tough, end quote. And that inside-outside designation applies to a lot of Miami's remade roster this year. Between 2017 and 2018, Kyle Van Noy played a near 50-50 split of his defensive snaps outside and inside, according to Pro Football Focus. Raekwon McMillan played just two snaps on the ball back in 2018, but that number increased last year to 93 snaps, 91 snaps more than the previous year. Position versatility is especially important in the secondary. 
Byron Jones spent two of his five seasons in Dallas as a safety. Bobby McCain moved into a more prominent single high role last year after playing slot the majority of his career. Rookie Brandon Jones played nearly a 50-50 split, again, according to PFF, between deep safety and in the slot last year at Texas. And Miami jumped headfirst into that philosophy of building this defense out front to back this offseason with the two Joneses, McCain and Rowe. Flores has a handful of players with hybrid safety cornerback experience where you might be inclined to play a safety who is more of a cornerback because he can come down and cover. And there are more common features that exist across this position group, like, for instance, press man cover skills that suit Xavier Howard and rookie first round pick Noah Igbenogany's strengths. The Dolphins inundated the defensive backroom with talented players this offseason. The 2019 defense was on the field for 1,057 snaps. The number of defensive back deployments went as follows, according to Sharp Football Stats, with 8 DBs in the field, 9 snaps, with 7 DBs in the field, 21 snaps, with 6 DBs, 304, 5 defensive backs, your nickel, 370, 4 defensive backs, 341, and then between 1, 2, and 3 defensive backs, only 12 snaps combined. So your glut is in that 5, 6 defensive back range, nickel and dime packages, so defensive backs have to be prominent on your roster to satisfy those play counts. Four defensive backs are essentially always on the field. More than two-thirds of the time, you're going to have at least five defensive backs on the field, and one-third of the time, you're going to have six or more defensive backs on the field in this defense. And because of that, there was always, always a need for cover corners. A former linebacker at Boston College, Brian Flores, knows the offensive aspects of the game that gave him issues as a collegiate among them, dealing with a fullback. And the fullback brings a physical element to the game and an extra body to sift through en route to the ball carrier against the run. In his first training camp in charge last year, Flores drilled the key fundamentals that he says are integral at any level of football, professional, college, high school, even down to Pop Warner. Blocking, beating blocks, and tackling, the core basics of the game have never changed. Greer and Flores fortified the offensive line with two free agents and three draft picks up front. Four of those five players tipped the scales at better than 325 pounds, bringing with them a level of toughness and physicality. And the fifth acquisition up front? Veteran center Ted Karras, who excels in another core tenant of a Brian Flores team. He talks about it with the safeties, the defensive backs, the linebackers, on the offensive line, the quarterback communication. This quote from Bill Belichick, Ted Karras is a smart player. He's strong. He can anchor the middle of the pocket and his communication with his teammates on the offensive line, which is critical for the center position to handle blocking schemes and protections and so forth has been good. End quote. Finally, the quarterback position. The Dolphins signed Ryan Fitzpatrick last March and drafted Tua Tungavailoa on Thursday. Both players exemplify the traits that Flores has been consistent in what he looks for at the position and in order to command the huddle. Huddle is back at the 2019 scouting combine. Guys who are mobile, that's a strength. Guys who have great accuracy, that's definitely a strength. Those are kind of qualities that are standard things you're looking for. Guys who are accurate, guys with leadership, command of the offense. I think that's definitely a quality you want in your quarterback. Mobility is great, but every player is a little bit different, end quote there. And Ryan Fitzpatrick last year escaped pressure with regularity to the extent that he led the team in rushing. He galvanized the offense and the team, and especially in the middle of last season when expectations were not up to Coach Flores' standards and expectations. He showed off the it factor, something Flores opined at 
this year's combine saying, quote, I think that's something everyone talks about. Flores said of the it factor. Does he have the it factor? Do guys rally around him? I think that's something you see watching the film, but you get to know the player, the people around him, his coaches, his high school coaches, or anybody who's had an effect on him. You want to get to know him and have those conversations. It's a feel, end quote. And rookie quarterback Tua Tungavailoa completed 69.3% of his passes in college. There's your accuracy. He's widely been praised for his spirit and impact on teammates, and that's their leadership aspect, and obviously shown the it factor when he delivered that 41-yard game-winning touchdown in overtime of the 2018 National Championship game. And that competition factor is common across the Dolphins' entire quarterback room. They're going to get competition out of Ryan Fitzpatrick, out of Tua Tungavailoa, out of Josh Rosen, and out of Jake Rudock. We know the backstory behind Tungavailoa, but Brian Flores has praised the other three players for their work last offseason to rally around each other, to challenge each other, and to compete every single day to make the entire room better. That's the idea of the program. Competition improves everybody's game every single day. Tungabailoa was the first of 11 draft picks Miami made over the weekend, five of which came in the first two rounds, and the Dolphins led the way with those five picks in the top 56 selections, a feat that was made possible by the front office's approach to continuously take advantage of market opportunities. Return compensation at a better rate than market value has been the name of the game since that blockbuster Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills trade, where the Dolphins received two first-round picks and a second-round pick from Houston, which, by the way, was more expensive than Houston's cost to acquire Deshaun Watson back in the 2017 draft and more expensive than the cost for Kansas City to trade up and acquire Patrick Mahomes in that year's same draft. And the post-training camp trade grabbed the headlines, but it's consistently the approach the Dolphins have taken to restock the 2021 draft cupboard with another 10 picks on the final day of the draft this year. On Saturday, the Dolphins parlayed the fifth to last pick in the draft, number 251 overall. They parlayed that into a 2021 sixth round pick. Even if the Seahawks, who the Dolphins got the pick from, win the Super Bowl and pick last at the end of each round, that pick stands to improve by at least 35 spots next April. The message has been clear from day number one. It comes from up top with Stephen Ross and Tom Garfinkel, with Chris Greer and Marvin Allen, and the entire front office and scouting staff. The message that to be a Miami Dolphin, it takes toughness, intelligence, and discipline is a reflection of who Brian Flores is as a person. Together, Miami's leadership took charge in changing the course of the franchise. Together, they established a vision and a message that has been consistent to the T Since Mr. Ross took the podium on that last day of 2018, a message that, although perpetuated from the last 15 months, successfully is far from complete. Brian Flores leaves you with this. A lot of hard work has to be done to become a good team. It's not easy. So I would say as far as expectations, let's manage them. And there's a lot of work we have to do. And obviously we're going to push the team to do that. But the work has to be done by the players, the coaches, the personnel staff. It's going to be a collective team effort, end quote. All right, I think that is a good place to go ahead and leave it off for today. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com for the written piece talking about the Dolphins' vision, the post-draft recap, recapping the last 15 months of Miami Dolphins' decision-making in football, and of course, the piece on Matt Breida. Until next time, fins up.